Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. It's a good day to have a good day. A good day. Saturdays with Jenny every Saturday from 9 to 11 a.m. Well, listen, if on the back of your book, never mind the front cover, you've got the late Zinzi Mandela, and she says, tuning in to Iman's power talk would lift my mood and inspire me. She made listeners feel like she was talking to you as a friend holding your hand through a storm. Sermons of Soul, which is her most recent book, shares many of her wonderful, wonderful stories. Then you've got Kumi Naidu. I mean, Kumi Naidu. Um, anyway, um, Iman, <laughs> Iman combines promises, passion, dedication and insight with the professional eloquence she brings to all that she does. And it just does go on and on. Dr. John Carney, uh, Judge Leona Tehran, etc. And they all love Iman. And by the way, so do I. So she joins us on the line. And Iman, I'm so sorry you're not sitting opposite me because we've got little glass cages that we put we put people in. We put guests into little glass cages. <laughs> so, so next time, next time, we'll put you in a little glass cage. But I wore a pair of earrings, specially for you. And then as I was driving, I thought, but she's not going to see them. So... Anyway, there we are. But I did put. Well, on you're going to have to tweet a picture, Jenny, because I'm intrigued now. I'm so glad you got dressed up for me. Well, uh, only the earrings, darling. The rest. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take what I can get. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 because nobody can see, so it doesn't matter anyway. But listen, Iman, I mean, you know, you are now hosting, a, you know, jointly hosting a breakfast show on Power FM, and I'm sure that is 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 going really, really well. And um, and the sermons of soul, it really is. It is. What is it? It is sharing some of your thoughts and some of your. I, I'm not sure that they were sermons. I think that they were, they were conversations with a listener. I think that's what they were. And now you're taking it broader than simply counting. Am I right? That's right, Jenny. And thank you, first of all, just always appreciate um, the platform and the consideration of this invitation. It. It is really, it really goes to my heart, and I love talking to you. The book, I mean, the reason we entitled the Sermons of Soul was kind of riffing off the whole SOS theme, you know, the Morse code, um, you know, guidance in a storm, keep you away from the from the rocks, the lighthouse theme, and I, it was also riffing off the, this joke that my mom used to tell me a lot when I was growing up. They all believed that I'd become a pastor one day, and that I would be, you know, delivering sermons from the pulpit. So this is, these are kinds of just meditations on what is happening in our society or, you know, what is happening internally, because often we focus on what's happening outside, you know, what the latest number around corruption is, who's been elected. Um, but also it is how we connect to those things that, you know, make the truth out of our context real to us. Uh, and so this was about going inside and outside. So I'm interested to know when you got the idea for this book, was it just building up? Because we have been in shutdown for five months and we have emerged. <laughs> <laughs> we have emerged differently. I mean, we are not the same people who went into into lockdown five months ago. We, we just aren't. A lot has changed. I mean, I feel like we've been slapped around the face and, you know, kicked up the butt, basically, by this pandemic. It was something none of us expected. When you watch these Hollywood blockbuster movies, you always think, oh, you know, that's fantastical post-apocalyptic stuff. It'll never happen in our reality until it does. 
And when you are in a time of normality, and let's say something's going wrong, when you are in a time of abnormality, that wrong thing becomes even more amplified, becomes more magnified. So we learned a lot about, I think, just personally um, ourselves. We learned also a lot about the world in which we live and how in, in which we live and how fragile everything is. You know, nothing is permanent, nothing is cast in stone, and really, the only thing we can truly say we have control over is our own response to things. So, I was trying to think last night as I was sort of marking bits and pieces that I want to talk about, and I know there's not going to be enough time, but I was just thinking if I had to sum up what what I thought about this book in one word and 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 I came up with this word and I came up with that word and whatever, but in the end, when I woke up this morning, I knew what the word was there is it is a it is a book of generosity of soul. Um, it is the generosity of your spirit, I think, that comes across to listeners and to, to readers alike. Would you buy into that? I don't know if it's because I'm premenstrual, but, you know, <laughs> what, what, what you've What's just that? said makes me want to cry. Um, and isn't it so interesting how we, are, we can be caught off guard by things, the most unexpected things at any point in our lives? I am so aware of the generosity that people have inject, injected into my own life, Jenny. The, the love that I feel from even strangers or the appreciation for my work, which I never really give myself, I think, enough credit for. Um, and really concerned about how people would interpret this book because it dovetails across so many different subjects, politics, the self, you know, reflection, meditations. And so when you say that, it, it, it really just goes straight to my heart and, and, and I accept that and I thank you. Well, it is more than a pleasure. So let's share with people what it's all about. And it really does stem from the show that you used to do on Power FM. I'm not talking about the breakfast show that you are co-hosting. But but it was, it was like a – I think it might have started off as a homily that you wrote in about 10 or 20 minutes, if you were lucky, yeah. half an hour before the show. And then it kind of developed. It, it, gained, it gained stature, I think, in your mind as well mm. as in the listeners' hearts. Yeah, that's why I'm such a champion for not defining ourselves. And people ask, where will you be in five years' time? What will you be doing then and then? It's to really be open to allowing your canvas to be imprinted upon anything that is happening and then to allow that to reveal itself. I started writing it just as, okay, because I, I try to be thoughtful in what I do and intentional in what I do. I didn't just want to greet people in the morning. I wanted to have a point of view and set an eloquent agenda. Uh, and so I started, and so when I look back at the very first ones that I wrote, I'm so embarrassed by them because they seem so malnourished. And then later they began to build, and as people began to respond, Jenny, that's where the magic happened. And that's why radio is such a sensitive medium. It's, it's such a, a spiritual medium because as people responded and said, we, we love that, uh, where can I get a copy of that? I began to pay a lot more attention to how I would craft it. And, you know, I can be quite, you know, I can, I can say a lot and speak for a long time. And so I had to make sure that I could be crisp and efficient, but also retain the soul and the heartbeat of it. And then it just developed into these sermons. I call them sermons that I ended up doing every day. And in fact, just to reflect, one of the first books I, I uh, you know, I, I broached Japan Macmillan was this book. And they were like, no, there's just 
you know, there's so much about you and your story that we think would be a best, a better first book. And so that's how my first book, um, Becoming Iman, was written and manifested. And then we got to Sermons of Soul. Well, I do think that um, Becoming Iman, uh, I do think that it, it, it's valuable to have read it beforehand. It's not, it's not compulsory at all, uh, but I do think it helps with um, a certain feeling of depth. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and I had so much fun writing it. And this is the thing, is that all of this is so magical and unexpected and delicious. When I reflect on, on my life and all the strange places I've been in or living in, you know, in, in, in the days of becoming, a, wanting to be a religious jurisprudent to where I am now and having written another book, it's just, you know... The, Things are so unexpected, and and that's and that's the beauty is not knowing what the next day is going to bring. So when I turn to the back of the book, which I I often read the back of the book, not the ending, by the way, um, but the back of the book because I'm really interested in how people, um, the research that they did, or the thinking that that gave rise to the book, and that's of course where you found it. So you've you've read many many books. Of course, you're you're a bookaholic like like I am, but but you know books that really work with your book. I was interested in how many African books you turned to for reference. Yeah, I mean because we've been reading you know um, African literature, which wasn't necessarily school, um, you know, kind of approved literature. So I would. And, and I was a bookaholic. I mean, you know, ever since I can remember, my mom would sort of smack my hand because I'd bring a book to the table. But I, I wanted to learn. I, I was so fascinated by words. And the more I read, read sort of African stories and how the framing was from, you know, from African writers, there was, there was just such a granular textual appeal for me in the writing and, and a, a relatability with stories that allowed me as I became a writer now in this phase of my life to tap into what I'd learned from, you know, some, some of the other giants of African literature that existed in the space. So in, in, they didn't know that they were mentoring me, but in fact, they were. And I mean, I, you know, I, from, from different writers, you absorb sort of different styles and different ways of engaging a story and connecting with people. And so, I mean, that, that was such a gift. What did you get out of Sol Plyke's book, Native Life in South Africa? I'm just, I'm just intrigued. Um, I don't know. I, I suppose, you know, probably a, just a, a textual rendering of storytelling, um, you know, and it kind of moves into books. I mean, I, I can't remember all the books in detail, Jenny, in terms of, you know, chapter and verse. Some, some books I've read a long time ago. Some books I, I quoted for use in this particular book. But just, especially from the South African writings and, and, and South African writers, just a, a kind of, you know, kind of more of a visceral connection with our, our experience um, and, and a way of approaching story and, and spirit. So those are the kinds of themes that I would pick up from different writers and different inspir- you know, kind of points of inspiration that they left for me. The feeling that I get with this book is many, many people like to start their day with quiet reading, um, not a novel very often. It's something that buoys them, I guess, um, through the rest of the day and maybe for a longer period of time. But it's just that quiet, let's say 10 minutes in the morning, maybe while you're still in bed. 
Do you see people doing that with this book? Because there are many, many, many uh, different subjects that you actually cover that would give people, I think, strength, some of them peace, some of them a great amount of disquiet as well. But that's, that's when your own soul is, is shrieking and shouting. There's one towards the end of the book, um, which let me just see. I've got so many, I've got so many markers. Um, it is the, it is, um, well, I can't find it. Okay, it's all it's all about ch- uh, child abuse, and uh, and I I read that and I just thought it was how can you how can you possibly write about child abuse in the way that you did? You were writing tenderly, but with such deep deep distress and anger. Jenny, you were with me. I think when I started at at um, seven or two in twenty fifteen, you were you know you were at the station. And you know how hardworking that newsroom was. And a lot of the stories that I was being deployed to were stories where, you know, you're really connecting with families and loss. And and that's why I'm a strong advocate for anyone who is becoming a news anchor or even a talk show host to have done the work of journalism in the field because it layers your own rendition of that story in a more humane way. Um, And so there were lots of times I would deal with issues where people were being directly affected and it wasn't just about the facts of the story it wasn't just about what the police are going to do next Mm. but it was about the lasting engraving on those people's lives the the hollowness that emerges in their eyes when you know just not so long ago they were happy and they were fine and then suddenly tomorrow something changed or they found out about something and it changed them forever and you know so, so there's this and, and as you say, I mean, in the morning, there, there are triggers for, for different things. And selfishly, it does come from my own fountain of being. So if I'm feeling happy in the morning and I'm listening to a really joyful tune, that will infuse the message for the morning because I'm, I'm choosing to see the lining. But on another morning where I'm encountering, you know, either a new story about injustice or seeing someone on the road and thinking our society doesn't need to be this unequal, it makes me write in, in, in a different way. And... In some ways, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to make yourself vulnerable like that, Jenny, to just share your heart as it is, because, you know, sometimes it's not safe to reveal yourself to people mm-hmm. because they look for the, you know, your, your, your Achilles heel or your soft entry points, and that's where they go to because that, that's a kind of perverse um, capacity that human beings have. We can't do this work that we do in the way that we do and ask people to be honest with us if it's not a quid pro quo. Mm. There was a phrase you used, and, and damn it, when I, as soon as you've gone, I'm going to be able to find it, but you talk about a child's head. You know how fragile those little heads are? Oh, and yes. um, you, you talk under the skull. That's Crushed right. Skull. I, I mean, it was so brutal. And, uh, but that is, that is, what is what has happened probably last night, you know? In fact, I read that piece this morning. I'm also going to try and find it. It is uh, towards the end where I talk about, you know, kind of like this pristine canvas of a child's skin being defiled by cigarettes mm-hmm. going out into it and, and leaving this sort of acrid kind of burned flesh smell. Because I've seen it. You know, I've been in courts where, you know, the police have to give evidence or you're speaking to some expert witness or... You know, I, I do some work. I'm an ambassador for the Child Witness Foundation and the kinds of things you hear about just how vulnerable children are. You can't walk away from those images. They stay with you. They might be a little bit further back in the library of your experience, but they're ever there. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back with Iman after this. Saturdays with Jenny, 9 to 11 a.m. on Kaya FM. 
95.9. And we're talking about Iman Rapetti's latest book, and it's called Sermons of Soul. But I do not for a single second want you to think that it is all serious. Um, Iman, I'm looking at, as we're talking now, and this is, oh, the pain of WhatsApp. Do you want to just expand <laughs> on that a little bit? <laughs> um, so, Jenny, must remember, I wrote about 400 of these over a period of time. So I'm going to have to read that particular piece here. But the pain of WhatsApp, just a, a quick snapshot is, you know, when you are messaging someone, especially someone that you really, really adore and like, and perhaps it's an unrequited love. And so you message them and then you see that you are blue ticked. So in other words, the person has read the message and they have not responded to you. So you sit there in a kind of expectant purgatory, wondering and postulating all of these different reasons for why you might not have been responded to. Um, and I think it's a pain. I mean, I, I don't know if you relate as much to it, uh, Jenny, because you're probably in, in, in a lot more of an affirming kind of position in your life right now than a lot of us. But if you are in the throes of meeting someone and wanting to get to know someone and suddenly, you know, this happens. So I think I riff off of that particular theme um, in, that, in that sermon about, you know, the last scene and being plagued by the last scene. So you can see that the person, the subject of your affections was on at like 2 a.m. Yes. And you sent the message, you know, 6 p.m. the previous night. What the hell have they been doing and why haven't they responded to you? I mean, you know, technology can be a great help, but it can also be a great torture. But also, I mean, the great value of writing letters, except they will probably <laughs> never be delivered, um, is that you had to wait about a week. Um, or maybe if you lived in, in Europe, you could get it the next day, but you had to have a first-class stamp. But, I mean, it's the opening of the letter. That's what I was thinking of. It's like, um, you know, if it is to a lover or a wannabe lover or whatever it is, and and you read it. For me, it was a letter that uh, that is open, and you are so desperate for it. Now, you choose something that is close to your heart. So I picked out, um, in anticipation for this morning, just a poem that I wrote about... So, so here's the thing. I mean, a lot of us may have sort of linear connections with, with people that we like and, you know, we meet them, boy meets girl or boy meets boy and girl meets girl, whatever the, you, you know, whatever your preference is. And then, you know, life and love proceed in a certain way. And I, after my marriage kind of, you know, died, I, in my post-marriage life, decided that I was going to have a very different uh, you know, love life and experience with people. So, you know, even adventures in different places were things I, I, I really pursued. And so this poem is just a tribute to someone that I'd met and we, we ended up having a very quick but very powerful love affair in Paris. So should I read it, Jenny? I'd love you to. Okay, I'm putting my reading voice on now. <laughs> Walking with you was worship. Each step a confirmation of being as sure as our feet connecting with the ancient cobbles of a Paris street. It feels better just knowing you are alive, even if I never set eyes on you again. Like gravity, I don't need to see to believe that you are there and that perhaps on some warm summer's day you would think of me and smile or that you would catch a playful scent on a breeze that would bring me to you for just a moment in time. As we stood across from each other on an underground train to goodbye, a steel pole bore the weight of our need for stability. It stood between your face and mine as we leaned into it. But spirit finds no obstacle in material things. You looked at me and I at you and it was enough. You leave me with more than just the beautiful memory of a morning picnic alongside the Seine's famous flanks of song and suicide, with more than just an intoxicating baptism of perfume. You leave me wanting to live more beautifully, 
to know that Eden can be anywhere we truly take ourselves. And I love you for that. It's absolutely lovely. <clears throat> and Paris, it had to be Paris, didn't it? <laughs> I've looked, and, and some would say in my community, oh, she is acting raw. You know, she goes to a few places and that's all she can talk about. But I've, I've been there a few times. I am hoping at some point, uh, you know, in, in, the, in, in the vein of, um, you know, Simone de Beauvoir or Picasso, whoever Hemingway used to hang out at this famous, um, I forget the area, but there was this famous cafe that they all, oh, Le Dome Go. They, they used to all hang out there. And I went to sit there and have tea one morning. And I was like, this is my city, you know, a city of philosophy and paint and artists and artists. And anyway, it was a different time. Iman, it's a fantastic book. I hope that Afropolitans listening rush out and buy it and know that you've got to read it incredibly slowly and not even every single day because the, the, the strength and the worth of the book is giving yourself time to savour and to think about the subjects that Iman has covered from Steve Biko to WhatsApp to a wonderful love affair in Paris. It is, it is a little gem. So, Iman, thank you so much for talking to us here. Thank you, FM. I appreciate you. Many thanks. Let me give you the details of the book. It is Sermons of the Soul. It's by Iman Rapetti, published by Macmillan. It's a good day to have a good day. A good day. Saturdays with Jenny, every Saturday from 9 to 11 a.m. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind.